want to start off this morning with a bit of a thought experiment with you. I want you to imagine for a second that you are God. Not generally a good thing to, to do in most circumstances, as we'll see this morning. Uh, but imagine that you're God, and you're sending a message to the world. And what would that message be? What would that uh, content of that message be? Perhaps you'd send a systematic theology, you know, chapter one, God, chapter two, salvation, and so on and so forth. Perhaps you'd send a, a self-help book, you know, chapter one, what's wrong with you, chapter 33, what to do when all that doesn't work. Perhaps you'd send a, a big book with the words, don't panic, on the front. Uh, that's a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference, if anyone's uh, wondering. But God said none of those, as we start our, our, our new series this morning, we're looking at the Bible, which is what God sent. And really, the bulk of the Bible is a story. Not a fairy story, a true story, but it's essentially a story that's narrated by God himself. This is God's take on history. Now, there are other things that we find in the Bible, poetry, letters, law, but the thrust of the Bible really is an unfolding story as we go through. And over the next eight weeks, we're going to take uh, some time to look at that story in the big picture. Uh, we're not going to go into every detail, uh, because if we did, then that would take more than eight weeks, or we'd have very, very long sermons. Um, but really, what we're going to do is just give you the, the picture, uh, the overarching picture of the Bible. We're going to be going into a bit more detail in the evenings in Genesis, we're going to sort of carry the story on. But this is very much the bird's eye view of the Bible, a hitchhiker's guide uh, to the Bible. Uh, but what is that story about? We said that it's a story. Is it a love story like Pride and Prejudice? Is it a thriller like The Born Identity? Is it a sci-fi like 2001 A Space Odyssey? Well, this morning I want to argue that actually the Bible is about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. That's what the big theme of the whole Bible is. I mean, have you ever wondered why Jesus' first words in his ministry... Uh, are, you can find them on the back of your notice sheet there. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. So now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Have you ever wondered what Jesus is saying there as he starts his public ministry? He talks about the kingdom of God as though we'd all know what it is, doesn't he? He sort of starts with it saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. But the strange thing is that the Old Testament never has that phrase in it. The Old Testament doesn't mention the kingdom of God. So what does Jesus mean by saying the kingdom of God is, is near, is at hand? Well, for a kingdom, you need three things. You need a people who are ruled. You need a sphere, a place for that rule. And you need a king who's actually ruling. A people, a place and a rule. So for the kingdom of God then, what we need is God's people in God's place under his rule and blessing, because his rule does bring blessing. And those are the three strands that we're going to follow through the scriptures, through the Bible, as we tell the greatest story ever told. Now, borrowed heavily from two books, uh, which some of you all will know, The Gospel of the Kingdom by Graham Goldsworthy, uh, and Vaughan Roberts' um, uh, God's Big Picture. Um, but there's no copyright in the kingdom, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> but if you want to find out more, do read uh, those things. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to follow those uh, strands through scripture. Now, there are other ways of telling the story, but this is, we found a very helpful one. And the first thing that we see, really, 
Uh, that's the kingdom of God. Um, we see the pattern of the kingdom. Oh, sorry, it's uh, God's people, God's place, God's rule and blessing. Um, we see the pattern of the kingdom. Uh, so if you go back to Genesis 1, what we see there is Adam and Eve, aren't they? They're really uh, God's people. Um, Adam and Eve are God's people. That's what we see. Um, really, that's a bit obvious because they're the only people uh, at this point. Uh, but we see within them that there is an order. Man and woman are to be over the beasts. Uh, woman is to be man's helper. And the man and the woman are to serve God. So it's sort of God at the top, man and woman together. But there's an order within them. And then ruling over the beasts. That's the order of creation that we see. There's an aim to the creation. Man is to tend the garden. That's what he's told to do. He's given a job. Woman is to help the man. And I think that the idea is less sort of heavy lifting uh, and more the idea of childbearing. Because if you wanted someone to help sort of with the physical side of the work, then you'd have probably created, um, obviously women can be strong, but in general, uh, <laughs> I just want to say something too controversial. Um, he could have created another man, couldn't he? He could have just created lots and lots of, of really sort of big, strong men. But actually creates a woman. And the idea is that they're going to partner together. They're going to need... Uh, those things. Now, was Eve just a mother? Well, ask a mother. There is no such thing as just a mother, uh, is there? She's an equal partner in the work. She cannot do it without him. He cannot do it without her. There's a tender garden to subdue the earth. And they need each other. It's a mutual dependency that they have. So there is an aim to, to tend the garden. And there's an intimacy there. Uh, we didn't actually read it, so I put the wrong number down. But verse 25 says, And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There's an intimacy there. They're naked and unashamed. Now the fact that I can see people blushing already shows us the point uh, of that, that verse there. Are we even allowed to talk about this as Christians? I mean, how many people are there that you feel close enough to be comfortable around naked? Not many, I would imagine. Even married couples struggle with this idea of, of nudity. It's just a difficult thing. It's hard to explain. Uh, think about situations in changing rooms. You know, most people tend to sort of get their towels and there's the odd person who doesn't do that, but we all know that they're strange. <laughs> <laughs> but Adam and Eve are comfortable with this. They're okay with the fact that they're not wearing any clothes. There's a wonderful intimacy between them. There's a true unhindered relationship with each other. And with God, they don't mind that God is seeing them naked. They're not embarrassed that each other are seeing each other naked. It's a picture of that close relationship that we have with very, very few people. The closest kind. The kind that only family gets even close to. So these are God's people. They've got that order, they've got that aim, and they've got that intimacy. And they're in God's place, which here is Eden. It's a land rich in everything they need. Fruits of all kinds, running water, gold. Did you pick up that picture of just how wonderful this place is? There's a tree of life there, bringing them everlasting life if they would eat it. It's a, a picture of amazing abundance and wonder. And even this place has a goal, if you like. The goal there is rest. You see that on the seventh day, don't you, at the beginning of chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. Rest in the land that God had given them. The seventh day is different, isn't it, from the other days. 
No morning, no evening. It seems to go on forever, if you like. That really is the true pinnacle of creation, even above man. Man at rest with God. Only then is it really complete. And rest, as we go through our, our Hitchhiker's Guide to the Bible, we'll just keep coming back and back again. Rest in the land is the goal. And then we have God's rule and blessing expressed by his word. We've seen the power of his word in chapter 1, haven't we? As God spoke the universe into existence. He could have clicked his metaphorical fingers and it just started. He could have thought the universe into existence. But instead he spoke it into existence. It shows us the power and the majesty of his word. It's not to be trifled with. He commands and it happens. That's the refrain all the way through chapter 1. And his words now turn to commanding Adam and Eve. He tells them not to eat the fruit. And it's a simple enough command, isn't it? They're only one tree that they're not supposed to eat from. They know which tree that is. They're not to sort of go around playing Russian roulette with trees. It's simple enough, but it sets the tone, doesn't it? God is the ruler. They are the ruled. God decides the rules, however simple he chooses to make them. And this is part of their blessing, being ruled in this way. Not only that they can't sin in other ways, but it's that they know who's boss. They're left in no doubt as to who it is that they're relating to. Have you ever been in that awkward social situation when you don't know who it is that you're talking to? Uh, I remember going for a job interview uh, at school in Hallbury a few years ago, and you kept getting introduced to people. They didn't tell you who they were. They just told you, you could guess which were the children, obviously. You guess which were the teachers. But I didn't know what the head teacher looked like. I uh, hadn't done my research properly on, on Google. Um, so I didn't know if I was talking to the head teacher or talking to the secretary or to um, the groundskeeper. I had no idea. And there's that awkward situation of not knowing how you relate to them, not knowing whether you should be on your sort of best behaviour or is this someone I can, can chat to. It's a blessing to know where you stand, isn't it? It's a blessing to know who it is that you're dealing with. So God blesses them by, by giving them his rule. They know that they're ruled by God. And God blesses them with abundance. That wonderful world full of animals, birds, fish, plants, all at their beck and call. You know, it's Adam there naming all the animals. Imagine admiring a lion with no fear. Being able to stroke a lion. That must be amazing. And they have that tree of life, granting conditional immortality. Keep eating it, keep living. I don't think it's supposed to be that they take one bite and they live forever. But it's the idea that they'll keep eating it and keep living. God is offering them eternal life in literally paradise. Paradise means a walled, safe garden. That is what they have in this place. God himself walks with them in the garden. This is the place where you can meet with God. He's given them the gift of fellowship with himself. They literally have the world. God has given them everything. And it shows us just how great and generous God we have. It shows us what life could have been like. God's people in God's place, enjoying his rule and blessing. But will it stay that way? Well, Debbie's going to read us chapter 3, and we'll find out what happens next. So this is uh, Genesis chapter 3, which in the large Bible is page 3, I'm assuming somewhere similar in the small Bible. Um, The Fall. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat, all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever... Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim 
and a flaming sword that turns every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Thanks, Debbie. So now we've had the pattern of the kingdom as we've seen God's people in God's place under his rule and blessing, and now we see the perished kingdom. So who are God's people here? Well, nobody, really. The order is uh, reversed as well. Sorry, they're not God's people anymore. They're, they're uh, not uh, being the people that they should be. And we see that their whole relationship with God is, is turned upside down. The order is reversed. Uh, so if you remember it, we had uh, God, God, man, woman, uh, sorry, God, uh, yeah, God, hang on, God, <laughs> just doing a straight thing on my screen, God, man, woman, beast, that was the sort of order that we had, but here can you see that it flips entirely upside down, uh, so you have beast, woman, man, and God, the animal tells the woman what to do, that's why I think we have an animal talking to Eve, uh, the woman tells the man what to do, and together they tell God where to go, they want to be top of the order, they want to be like God. But actually what they do by trying to do that is end up being lower than the animals. So the order is completely reversed. The aim is frustrated. Now, do you remember that the man's job was to tend the garden, to work the earth? Well, man now has to work the cursed earth. God is going to curse the earth with thorns and thistles. The very thing that he's given him to do, he now curses. And it's the same with the woman, isn't it? We said that uh, part of her role was to bear children. Well, now bearing children is going to be painful. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. So uh, if you've been through that situation, you need to blame Eve, uh, <laughs> not anybody else. Um, but here we see that the very jobs that they're given to do are cursed, are made hard. So if you're struggling with work at the moment, well, that's down really to this. If you're struggling with children... Uh, really, it's down to this. Because the aim is frustrated by God. He's cursed it. And you see that the intimacy that they had is gone. Now they sew fig leaves together to, to cover themselves. Now fig leaves are tiny. It's not really a very adequate covering. It's like, quick, what can we find to get it together? It's not adequate to cover them because if you look at verse 10, they tell you that they're still naked. So when God says... Um, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. These things are so bad that actually Adam still considers himself to be naked. The loving cooperation that they have becomes a fierce rivalry. Have a look at the second half of verse 16. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. We'll see tonight, as we look at the, in the next chapter, this phrase is not talking about a woman loving her husband. The phrase is a wife desiring to have her husband, like a snake has a mouse, wanting the man to submit to her. And the phrase rule over is not a loving rule, it's not the same word that's used elsewhere, it's rule with an iron fist. It's the word used as a king of his subjects, not of a husband and his wife. Now this isn't condoning or sanctioning domestic violence or domestic abuse, any more than it's condoning wives manipulating their husbands. What it's showing us here is a broken relationship. One that seeks to control and one that lashes out in response. This is the beginning of the battle of the sexes. It's a million miles away from the loving partnership that we saw in chapter 2. Now they're fighting each other, they're biting each other. 
And they blame one another for the mess they're in. Have a look at verse 12. The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit to eat, and I ate. So Adam blames Eve, and implicitly God, doesn't he? He doesn't want to take responsibility, he passes the book to Eve. Eve then goes on to blame the serpent, and if you know the joke, the serpent doesn't have a leg to stand on. That's, as I said before, for puns, that's the right response. Um, but nobody will take responsibility. They all pass the book on to the next people. This is a total mess. So that's God's people. What about God's place? Well, they're thrown out of Eden, aren't they? Look at 23. Therefore the Lord sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. <clears throat> they're exiled from their wonderful homeland into a world of thorns. No more cushy fruit. They'll have to work for their bread. Look at verse 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat your bread, till you return to the ground. For of it you will take it, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. They're going to have to work hard. There's no more of this easy life in Eden. And there's no way back. Have a look at verse 24. Um, He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The way back in is guarded by fearsome angels. The cherubim are not cute little babies with wings. You've seen the pictures of cherubim sort of flying around? That, that was the Greeks that gave us that. Uh, really, if you look at what they are, they seem to be some sort of terrifying bird creatures. Something that terrified people. People used to use them at the front of temples to sort of scare away intruders. Now the fact that they're used in temples, we'll pick up on uh, later on in our series. But there's no way back. They're guarding the way. So there's no way back to the place that they met with God. No way back in. No way back to that fellowship that they had. And the rest of the Bible is set outside of Eden. That's the title of our series on tonight. And the world is horrific as sin spreads and corrupts everything. They're outside of God's place. They're exiled from it. And what about God's rule? Well... God's rules expressed through his word. Well, they doubted his word, didn't they? If you look back at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The devil, you see, there wants them to doubt God's word. He twists it as well. He wants them to doubt. He denies God's word. If you look at verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. What's the devil's attack? He attacks the word. He attacks the rule of God. And he offers them God's place. Verse 5. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The irony of it is they're already like God, aren't they? They've been made in God's image. But what he's offering them is more than just knowing what good and evil is, or what they are, they know what good and evil are, don't they? They know to take the fruits is bad, not to take the fruits good. That's knowing good and evil, isn't it? What he's offering them is deciding what's good and evil. You get to choose what you do. You get to choose what's right and wrong. That's what God does, isn't it? That's taking God's place. Really, the devil is saying you should decide your own morality. If you say it's okay to eat the fruit, it's okay to eat the fruit. And they take God off the throne and want to sit there themselves. And the result is cursing. 
If you remember the blessing that we saw, well now it's turned to curse. Adam and Eve no longer enjoy the wonderful blessings of God, but are cursed. Their access to the tree of life is taken away. And their slow decline into death has begun. Spiritually, they died as they separated themselves from the one true life, God himself. It's a bit like flowers, when you, you get tulips or things in spring. Uh, and you get them, and they look wonderful, don't they? But as soon as they're chopped off from their roots, as soon as they're chopped off from the bulbs, really, it's, it's just death. They're already dead. It just takes a while for them to catch up. Unlike that, it takes a while for their bodies to catch up with the reality of their situation. But they really did die that day. Death entered the world. And we see it every day. 2016 has been one of those years, hasn't it? Where everyone has been talking about death. But death is a foreign invader in our world. This is what it's showing us. It feels alien as much as we try and fool ourselves. Because it is alien. It's not how it's supposed to be. In Eastern thought, it's all, it's all just sort of, oh yeah, it's all good. Um, you get it in uh, somewhere red hot chili peppers uh, called Californication. They pick up on this idea. It says destruction leads to a very rough road, but it also breeds creation. And earthquakes are to a girl's guitar. They're just another good vibration. That's sort of Eastern thought. Oh, it's all good. Except it isn't, isn't it? And we know that. Death is a tragedy in our lives. We lose touch with the loved ones, even if we're going to meet them again in glory. But death comes into the world because we sinned. Death is the punishment for sin. And death and sin will spread as the story carries on. We'll see the curse continue and multiply. Adam and Eve will physically die. Brother will kill brother. God will despair of even making the world and destroy billions in a flood. The survivors will try to take God's place again and be scattered across the earth. <coughs> Things look pretty grim, don't they? Is there no hope? Well, here we've seen the pattern of the kingdom and the perishing of the kingdom. But we also see so much foreshadows of what's to come. We see life as God intended it, blessing, abundance, unhindered relationship with God. And the rest of the story really is going to be working out, well, how do we get back here? How do we get back in the garden? We've seen a model of sin, haven't we, this morning? The way we want to decide our own rules. The way we want to take God's place. The way we want to turn God's order upside down. How can sinful folks like us ever get back in the garden? Actually, I think if the Bible is any book, really, it's more like The Hobbit. Do you know the subtitle to The Hobbit? There and Back Again. A Hobbit's Tale. That's really the Bible. How are we going to get back in the garden? How is cursed mankind going to get back into Eden? How are we going to be enjoying God's place as God's people, enjoying his rule and blessing? How is God going to bring about his kingdom? That's really what we're talking about. Well, we see a hint of it here, how he's going to do it. A prophecy, the first ever prophecy. Have a look at uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. There's going to come one who's born of the woman who will crush the serpent's head. One who will defeat sin and evil. One who will break the curse. One who is able to bring us back into the garden. The serpent crusher. The one who will crush Satan's head. The one who will take a blow from Satan as he does. 
the promised seed of the woman, the serpent crusher. So there is hope. Even at the beginning here, there is hope that this is going to be reversed. There's one who will come and do it. So next time, we'll come in, not at Jesus, because I know that's where you know this is all going. I hope you do. We're going to come in at Genesis 12 (coughs) next week. After Cain and Abel, after the flood, after the Tower of Babel, comes the turning of the tides. The kingdom strikes back. The beginning of the rest of the Bible. And we'll find out why that is next time.